Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good this morning? Good church so far, amen? Uh, my name is Pastor Derek, if you don't know who I am, and the lead pastor at Connect, and I love it that we're here in church, and I think it's like the first or second day of summer, is that right? Is that right? Second day of summer. How many are ready for some summer, summer, summertime? Right? Simmer down. Okay. All right. <laughs> AC. How about we love air conditioning today? Anyway, get your worship guides out. Uh, you can get your Bibles out. You can follow along on version. Just punch in the zip code or, um, or whatever the other thing is. Our church name pops up there, I think. And uh, you'll see that we're in uh, the third installment or fourth installment in... Um, I think it's the third installment in our se- the fourth installment of our series that we're in right now. And it's basically a discipleship series. Last week, I'm not going to unpack last week, and I'm not going to unpack the previous weeks, but basically we've been saying this, that success is when, we, when God takes us from where we are to where we need to be. And how many of you know sometimes we don't want to go there, right? I mean, it's just, we're just, there's something about us that wants to drag our feet and we're afraid that God is going to, you know, send us on the mission field and we're going to live in a hut and, you know, and be, you know, just fight mosquitoes the rest of our life. And, you know, and if we give up, if we surrender, if we do everything he wants us to do, then we're going to be miserable. The truth is he actually knows our deepest needs. He knows what's going to make us not just happy in terms of happenstance, circumstance, but he knows what's going to make us fulfilled, what's going what's gonna to make, make us come alive. Amen. And so we're really looking at some of the disciplines um, of the Christian experience and some values that will influence us in a major way. And a value is like, it's like a fixed belief. It's a core value. It's something that uh, should be an integral part of who you are. It's kind of like the the cement of the Christian experience. And so we talked in week one about worship and just how important that is. I mean, how many know if you don't love God, you're not going to love people? Because people are people. (laughs) Right? You're going to get a song early. Um, and so, and then, you know, we talked, uh, you know, about just another aspect of discipleship, which is just kind of the whole idea of getting baptized. And so we had a ton of people baptized um, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was something like 20 people get baptized and nine stinking babies up here getting dedicated. And some of you all love Jesus and you love each other, clearly a lot. That's funny. I don't care what you say. But anyway, that we can do a marriage and family series later. And then last week we got kind of a little bit, you know, uh, strong and we talked about unity. How many of you were here for last week? Raise your hand good and high if you're here for unity. If you were not here and you're not raising your hand, please get that CD and or look, on, you know, look us up online at weconnect.cc and listen to that. If this is your home church, if you're more than just kind of a, a fringe person, you know, I, kind of, I like these layers, fringe, frequent flyer family. If you're family, you need that. You need to know it so you can give it away because that's a big part. Because there are enemies of unity. There are things that, can, that, that are constantly trying to <clears throat> pull you away from the, from, from the family. And we're gonna, oh, I'll show you a little video about that later on. And there are things that are trying to pick you off and, and, take you, and, and tear you apart. But there's things that the enemy's trying to do to his church because he knows that it's the church that's the hope of the world. It's through the church, the Bible says in Ephesians 3, that God's wisdom, you know, the, the fullness, it's, the Bible talks about this in Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom of God. It's like, it's like the full counsel of God, all, the whole Monty, the big package is made known through us. Everybody say through me. 
And so we got to do a good job of that. And we got to make sure we're staying together and we're not, you know, getting picked apart. And uh, sometimes we, we got to be set apart so we don't get picked apart. Amen. All right, so get in, get in your worship, God. We're going to talk about more than just one is today's message. It's more than just me, myself, and I. And we're going to talk about the value of fellowship this morning. Here's the big idea as I go forward. Um, and I've said this different ways, but show me your friends, and I'll show you or tell you your future. I'm not talking about a crystal ball here. <laughs> you know, just looking through my crystal ball. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is, this is a principle from God's word. If you show me your friends, the people you do life with, I can tell you this is really important for you seniors that are graduating. Uh, as soon as while they were praying, I was, that's what I was praying. I was like, help them, Lord, see how important their relationships are. Great relationships do not happen on accident. They happen on purpose. They require an intentionality to them. And I can tell you your future based on your friends. We can't control everybody's, with my kids, I have four kids. I can't control their choices. I can't control all their experiences. But I can steer. I can influence. I can invest. I can finance some of their friendships. (laughs) my, My daughter is in Alabama right now, and we have helped get her into certain a certain position, literally location, so that relationships that are fostered will be positive. If she said, I want to move to California, and I'm not sure where, and I want to go to this kind of school, and I think I'm gonna, I'll find a roommate when I get there, let me tell you something. She's going to be staying right up close, right up here, right along my side. You know what I'm saying? So you got to be very intentional with your relationships. In other words, you'll become like those you spend time with. Solomon said it this way thousands of years ago. He said in Proverbs 15:30, he who walks with the wise will grow what? Wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. It's not saying you're a fool. It's just saying if you hang around with foolish people, you're going to suffer. It's like you're going to get hit by the shrap metal of their dumb choices, their mistakes. You're going to be in the wake. The, you're going to be rip in the ripple and therefore crippled by the different crew that you hang out with. Does that make sense to anybody out there? And so we got to be really careful about who you hang around with. If you hang around passionate, positive, purpose-filled people, then you'll become like that. And this doesn't just go for kids. Can I have an amen for all the adults? This is like if you hang around a lot of divorced people, I'm not saying if you can't be a strong influence on them than they are on you, then you need to get away. You need to pull away. You need to back up a little bit. But divorce travels in packs. Did you know that? If you look at somebody who's going through a marital problem, if you look at the sphere or, or the circle of friends that they're keeping company with, if there is a continued digression or, 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 you know, just the relationship is just being more and more diluted, a lot of times, most of the time, it has to do with the people that they're listening to, the company they're keeping, who has your ear. It's the same, it's finance, the same thing. You want to grow, you want to get stronger, you want, I, want to, I want to do well financially. Well, hang around somebody who's good with their money. You'll pick up their conservative values. You need to hang around with, I just think like John Dudley comes to mind. He's very conservative. You know, he, he wouldn't know it. He probably wasn't like any of me saying any of this, but you wouldn't know it on the outside, but he's very plotted, planned, predictable. His brother, same way. My very plotted plan. The, the, the Bible says, you know, through steady plotting, we prosper. But you want to be around people who plod along steadily. This is really good preaching, Pastor. I, I just want you to know that. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. This is good. Anyway. All right. 
Okay, okay, so 1 Corinthians 15, 33, you should probably know this, it's not in your notes, bonus text, it just says, bad company corrupts good character. It's the antithesis of Proverbs 15, 30. But in the past, I've talked about these types of, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's different types of poverty. You all know these, these aren't in your notes, but this is just, this is just stuff, um, just to kind of leave, leave a little context, leave a little background, a little framework for you. There's different types of poverty. There's material poverty, we all understand that. We know what it's like, or we understand, maybe we don't know what it's like, but we understand what it's like when you have material poverty. But, and we understand, maybe because we're church people, we understand spiritual poverty, what it means to be spiritually impoverished. You can have material wealth, but you don't have spiritual health. There's a lot of people that have experienced this, but they don't have, they have material hope, but they don't have eternal hope, and, and they're spiritually impoverished. But what I want to focus on in particular today is relational poverty. Being relationally impoverished, this, this third type, this, it's sweeping across even, it's like it's, it's dissipation, it's, 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 it's like evaporation, it's, it's coming across, uh, uh, um, you know, America, the Western world in particular, um, and it's affecting us. It, it seems the more financial blessing we have, the more material blessings we have, and more that we attain in those areas, the more relationally impoverished we have become. And, I, and I'm going to try to help you see that. And there are many, many, many theories why. One of them that's in our society today that, is, that we celebrate so often is we strive for independence. You know, from, from, from when I was knee-high to a grasshopper, it was always like, pick yourself up from your, you know, by your bootstraps. You know what I mean? Suck it up. Don't be a, uh, you know, uh, I have a friend whose grandmother used to say, don't be such a sucky baby. You know what I mean? Don't be such a sucky baby. You know, and, and, and you know, and my daddy, very strong, very independent. You know what I mean? Just, you just, 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 that's kind of the way you roll, you know, and, and, and you get these, like, heroes that we follow in James Bond and the Lone Ranger and all these solo, strong superstars. And you see that in the faith, you know, the same thing in the Christian world and things like that. And so this independence is not healthy for us. And it's, and actually it's distinctly non-Christian. I don't need anyone. I don't want to uh, just do it by myself because God actually didn't create us that way, to be independent. He didn't create us to be dependent. He created us to be interdependent, where we love God, but we express and work it out and practice it and show that it actually took in the relationships that we have on a horizontal level as a byproduct of the relationship we have on a vertical level. So quiet, but I, I, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. So, so he, he died for not just me, he died for we. He wants us to do things together as a group, and we're stronger as, as a result of it. But oftentimes we reinforce this independent notion without even knowing it. In fact, listen to this. This is something I've, I don't think I've ever said this particular thing all the way through. So just listen to all the way through. But we teach these things in church, and I believe them, and they're true in part. But we say things like, you, you need a personal relationship with God. Is that true? Yes. yes, of course it's true. It is true, but it's actually incomplete. You do need a personal relationship God, with God, but we should never just settle for just a personal relationship with God. There's actually something richer than that, and that is a shared relationship with God. I hope that sinks in a little bit more today. Because there's this, in, indirectly or directly, the church of Jesus Christ can sometimes be communicating to people, just you and God and you're all set. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's not just you and God. It's not just me and God. You cannot actually fulfill your purpose, feel God, find God without, godly, without, without people, 
without people. It's shared. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in his name, there I'll be in the midst. What's even better than experiencing God on your own is experience the glory, the power, the manifest presence of God together with other people. It's way, way better, and I intend to prove it to you today. Does anyone agree with me out there? Yes. I remember at an early age uh, in ministry doing a small group in, um, at the Fuller's house. I think it's on 21 Green Street, top of the hill. Dangerous hill in the wintertime, so I'd come in the back way and just slide down on the way out. <laughs> it's funny. It's even funnier if you knew the street. Uh, Lord Jesus, help us! You know, we'd go down and just pray that nobody's at the bottom of that street. But... I can, just, I can just remember, you know, the, 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 the community that we would have. We, we say communion, you know, we understand that, the, the, the liturgical sense of it, the formal sense of it, the, the sacrament of communion. But there was common union. There was participation. There was fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. It was just, it was a whole other level. I mean, there were times where, you know, we just get to the way. It would be like everything It'd be like a smorgasbord. It was like a buffet with Jesus. I don't know how to explain it, but you had a little bit of everything. You had fun. You had laughter. We, there were, we, we'd, we'd have cake, you know, and then we'd, we'd have cries. Just all in the same meeting. We'd have people come in that didn't know Christ and find Christ. We had people that knew Christ that went deeper. We baptized people in bathtubs. We saw people, like, pray for the first time and talk to God and in the first time, in, in, the, in the open air, in a room, and you'd, you'd just be like, I wish I could pray like that. And they're thinking, I don't know how to pray. It was awesome. It was awesome, the experiences, the shared experiences of a small group like that. And we have so many external blessings sometimes outside, but internally, so many of us are relationally poor. We're impoverished. The three top reasons we're relationally poor are impo- impoverished are this. Number one, increased mobility. Everybody say Mobility. In other words, we don't stay anywhere very long anymore. The average American moves one time every five years. And if you're between the ages of 20 to 40, you move on an average of one time every three years. That's the, that's the national trend right now. So it's very hard to have a long-term relationship because nobody's rooted. In fact, the byproduct of that, that uh, tendency or proclivity now is people don't want to engage in relationships with people because they know they're going to be moving. So you don't even, I don't even go there because I know it's not going to be worth going there. Can you see something remotely diabolical about all of that? All right. Number two, the next big challenge impacting relationships is modern conveniences. Modern conveniences. This will be kind of humorous, but it's still true. Think about this. I read a story. I read some information about the air conditioner, how it massively affected and changed relationships in our culture today, when the, with the onset of the air conditioner. Because before the air conditioner, if you can remember this, where did people hang out? Did they hang out in the house or outside of the house? Outside the house, right in the front lawn. Hey, what's going on? Come over here. You want to come sit on the picnic table under the tree with us and have lemonade and watermelon, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that was living. Some of you are like, what? You know, what I mean? you know that, that's how it was. They would hang out in the front yard because that's where it was cooler. And then the next modern convenience that I read about was the attached garage. You used to have, you'd have a garage, you didn't have a garage, or you had a, an outside, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about outhouses. I'm not going that far back right now, okay? Like, wow. Okay, that's way back, okay? I'm talking about the non-attached garage. So you, you, you would now, with this change, instead of coming into the neighborhood, getting out of your car and going down the mailbox, getting the trash can, saying hello to the neighbors, you could just, with the click of a button, 
get in the garage, go right into your bat cave, see the door shut, go into your air-conditioned house, and never talk to or see anybody ever, (laughs) ever. For years and years and years, you can now never know your neighbors. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's like a touchdown, right? I mean, that's what happens today. It's gotten even worse, you know, to, to, with, the, with the onset. This came, and this is, some of you, you, you young people won't relate to this, but with the onset of the answering machine. Answering machine. It changed everything. Remember what you had to do? This will be stunning to some of you that are younger. To find, remember what you had to do to find out who was calling? Wait for it. Wait for it. You had to answer the phone. You had to actually pick up the phone and say hello and talk to somebody. You know what I mean? Think about, we never answer the phone anymore. When the answer machine came, you know, it, it was, it's not like it is now. You're like, the answer machine? Yeah, we used to have to wait, ring, 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 beep, you know what I mean? And then listen, oh no, I don't want to talk to him. Oh no, I don't want to talk to her. Oh, you'd run down the stairs real quick because there was only an answer machine on location and pick up the phone. Oh mom, I didn't know it was you. You know what I mean? And then that's how it would go. The answer machine came, and then you could, you could just answer your calls. And anyway, the list goes on and on. The newest and most challenging modern convenience that is affecting relationships is the increase of individualized forms of entertainment. Think about it. Back in the day, I'm just going to say my day when I was a kid, back in the day, there was an individualized form of enter- entertainment. If you, when you were going to play, you would play with, wait for it, wait for it, People! Look at somebody and say, you're people, you're people. You'd play with people, not inside, outside. I grew up and we played, we played kick the can, a little Coca-Cola can, till midnight. Do you know how much it cost? A nickel. Now we play with hundreds of dollars and thousands of dollars of games by ourselves, or, or through some virtual online situation with other people that we've never laid eyes on. It's a different day and we're getting very different results. The next big challenge impacting relationships is the rise of social media. Social media. We've acknowledged that it has certain benefits. It does, absolutely. I use many forms of it myself. But at the same time, it's not, just the, it's not the same as face-to-face contact anymore, is it? One article said this, social media is creating an epidemic known as deferred loneliness. Write it in your notes, deferred loneliness. Think about it. You feel there's something in all of us that desires to be connected. That's why we named our church Connect. We're trying to help connect the disconnected. That's a a really simple evangelistic definition. We exist to connect the disconnected to God, godly people in a godly place, all right? That's what we do. But people feel disconnected. They feel lonely. So what do we do now? We get on Facebook right? We upload something to Facebook or Instagram, and, and, then, and then generally speaking, generally speaking, you get some immediate feedback, don't you? You put something up there, and then you can look back there, like almost in minutes, it's like, 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 and you're like, woo, 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 feel good, you know? Put up a selfie, you know, get some feedback, you know, it says you look good, you're like, yeah, I do look good, I mean, check it out, you know, I feel good, I feel good. You know, it's not, do another one, you know, selfies, all kinds of things, you th- I thought so, I think so. You get this immediate feedback, but the problem is, you know internally how little it took to just kind of click that, to just put like, 
You know, just put a little comment there. And, and the reality is it doesn't eliminate or alleviate that loneliness, that disconnect, does it, at a, at a deep level. We know it. We know it doesn't eliminate that. And we can have 500 Facebook friends, but we have no one that we would call in a time of need. We have no one that we, would, we, we could really reach out to and know they pick up the phone and respond to us. They probably just let it beep and go to the voicemail. And I think deep down we kind of know it's not working. Watch this video. I want you to see something I saw online. I don't agree with everything that's said on here, but it, it just hit me kind of hard. I want you to check this out. Listen to this. Hopefully. Today. I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. The problem I have sits in the spaces between, looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realised that this media we call social is anything but when we open our computers and it's our doors we shut. All this technology we have, it's just an illusion. Community, companionship, a sense of inclusion. Yet when you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion, a world of self-interest, self-image, self-promotion, where we all share our best bits but leave out the emotion. We're at our most happy with an experience we share, but is it the same if no one is there? Be there for your friends and they'll be there too, but no one will be if a group message will do. We edit and exaggerate, crave adulation. We pretend not to notice the social isolation. We put our words into order until our lives are glistening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. Being alone isn't a problem. Let me just emphasize, if you read a book, paint a picture, or do some exercise, you're being productive and present, not reserved and recluse. You're being awake and attentive and putting your time to good use. So when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list. Just talk to one another, learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train where no one wants to talk through the fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial. It no longer satisfies to engage with one another and look into someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. Be out with my friends on our bikes, we'd roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees. We'd build our own clubhouse high up in the trees. Now the park's so quiet, it gives me a chill. See no children outside and the swings hanging still. There's no skipping, no hopscotch, no church and no steeple. We're a generation of idiots, smartphones and dumb people. <laughs> so look up from your phone, shut down the display. Take in your surroundings, make the most of today. Just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make. Be there in the moment that she gives you the look that you remember forever as when love overtook. The time she first holds your hand or first kiss your lips. The time you first disagree but still love her to bits. The time you don't have to tell hundreds of what you've just done because you want to share this moment with just this one. The time you sell your computer so you can buy a ring for the girl of your dreams who is now the real thing. The time you want to start a family and the moment when you first hold your little girl and get to fall in love again. The time she keeps you up at night and all you want is rest and the time you wipe away the tears as your baby flees the nest. The time your baby girl returns with a boy for you to hold and the time he calls you granddad and makes you feel real old. 
the time you take in all you've made just by giving life attention, and how you're glad you didn't waste it by looking down at some invention. The time you hold your wife's hand, sit down beside her bed, you tell her that you love her, play a kiss upon her head. She then whispers to you quietly, as her heart gives a final beat, that she's lucky she got stopped by that lost boy in the street. But none of these times ever happened. You never had any of this. When you're too busy looking down, you don't see the chances you miss. So look up from your phone, shut down those displays. We have a finite existence, a set number of days. Don't waste your life getting caught in the net, as when the end comes, nothing's worse than regret. I'm guilty too of being part of this machine, this digital world we are heard but not seen, where we type as we talk and we read as we chat, where we spend hours together without making eye contact. So don't give in to a life where you follow the hype, give people your love, don't give them your like. Disconnect from the need to be heard and defined, go out into the world, leave distractions behind. Look up from your phone. Shut down that display. Stop watching this video. Live life the real way. Hey, it's pretty strong, huh? Wow. Huh. So the problem with life is not necessarily a something. The problem with life sometimes is it's, it's about someone, not something. And I submit to you it's about some ones, not just someone, you know? And... and our key kind of thought that I want to kind of start unpacking with you is you might be one community away from changing the course, the destiny, the trajectory of your life. One community, not just one person, which is what I've typically said a lot of times. And, and really, it's not, it's not fully complete, but you might be persons or some buddies away. And God wants, you to, wants us to have that kind of relational opportunity. If there's one contributing factor to, to whatever success that I have experienced in my life, it has to do with long-term relationships. I really believe that. It changed. And, and, there, and, and there were seasons in my life where, those, where I was starved from that. Starved. Emaciated. Relationally impoverished. Um... We used to do things together. I was thinking about small groups, things I've heard from my own experience, things I've heard in other people's experience. And I could testify all day about this particular thing. But when I look back at, at even our first small group in this church, I'm still friends with all of those people. All those people are, are, are there's still some with struggles and going through things, but they're all, they all love Jesus. There's a few people, though, they got sidelined because they pulled away kind of from the community. And I'm going to say for the, for the lack of perfect illustration from the pack. I have one friend that I was talking to recently, a very good friend of mine. His name's Corey. And for 14 years, consistently, he's met with a group of people. And um, between the 14 people that they have, there's 14 couples, excuse me. They have 50 kids. So when they have a small group, it's like, it's insane, right? It's like basically school is in session, right? But he said this. He said, 14 years, we've met together consistently, and all the marriages are together. Every single one of the marriages are together. All the kids serve God. Every single one of those 50 kids is serving God because they've met together for 14 years. It's a modern example of what the Bible talks about. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I think this is in your notes, it says this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, everybody say it, fellowship. Fellowship, okay? To the breaking of bread and to prayer. It was a community centered around Christ, not birthday parties and soccer games. I'm not against those things. We shouldn't be. 
But there needs to be community that is truly centered around Christ. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I mean, this is love. They actually behaved like family. They met each other's needs. They took care of each other. We talked a lot about what, what love should look like, what unity should look like last week. Every day, everybody say every day. Amazing. They continued to meet together in the temple courts, a picture of the church. They broke bread in their home, a picture of connect groups, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's amazing when the people come together, they stay together. When they come apart or they, they, they do life apart, they fall apart. It's just what happens. You don't stumble into community. You create it. You create it. Now, I'm going to give you three things that are going to kind of help, three qualities of just like spiritual family and what it looks like. And uh, I, I, come on, somebody, I want to hear some feedback. Are you ready for these three things? Because I'm going to try to give them to you strong, okay? So number, number one, th- these will have some weird, you know, illustrations to them. Maybe not the, the most common words for you, but I hopefully, hopefully you'll get it. But this is what it looks like when we have community. Number one, we have refrigerator rights. Refrigerator <laughs> rights. Is it, is it ringing a bell with anybody out there? Ding, 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 right? This is how we roll at my house, okay? So if someone I know well comes over, they can just help themselves to the refrigerator. In fact, that'll be the first thing my wife says. She, you know, you, you want something to eat? And, they, you know, it's usually one of Devin's friends. And, uh, and then they'll say, yeah. And then she'll say, get it yourself. You know what I mean? Go help yourself. Go help yourself. Permission granted. What, ha- what I have is yours. What, what, you, what, what is mine is is. Is thine. So think about it. If you know that person real well, then there's there's kind of like a center of the home, like the heart of the home is the kitchen, our our, our house. That's how it is. And so people can be, you know, just around the countertops, sitting on the countertops, just all. But if it's not real comfy and cozy, we're not in the kitchen. We're in the living room, or we're on the landing. And because it's at a different level of of intimacy, a different level of relationship. If I was to go over to one of your houses, and maybe I don't know you that well, but I'm your pastor, but you don't need, and I, and I came right into your house, and I went right into your refrigerator, pulled out some cold cuts, you know, some fruit, made a sandwich, you know, came out into the den where you guys were all, you know, sitting. I probably should start by saying, would you guys like anything? Can I help you? Can I get you something? You might not say anything, but, but later on, after I left, you'd be like, that was kind of odd, you know, when pastor came over and just kind of made himself a big turkey BLT. That's, that's pretty peculiar, right? Everybody understands that. Because, because there hasn't been earned refrigerator rights. Permission has not been granted for that. But that should be a goal. That should be a, a, a pursuit to have that kind of relationship. Acts 2.44 says they were together. They had everything, everything, everything in common. And I would ask you this, and you can, you can think about this, you can write it down, you can do whatever you want, but how many people outside of your family have refrigerator rights? Another, one, another way to say it is, how many people have given you refrigerator rights in your life? And if you said to me, like, two to four people, maybe, you don't have to believe this, I, that's okay, but I, I would just say that's not all that God has for you. I would say that you're, you're relationally poor. You're not wealthy the way God intended. God wants us to have a personal relationship with him, but a shared relationship with him and others. A broader community where we're doing life together. It's not weird. It's awesome. It's awesome. And again, I struggled with this. I struggled with this because when I was in the cemetery, I mean seminary, excuse me. (laughs) 
They would teach us that the pastor is basically that, that you're all the normal people and then I'm different. And then I, in fact, I, my staff can tell you this in the early days. I didn't even want a stage. I didn't want to be up here. I felt uncomfortable sometimes being up here looking down at you. Because, but that's what we were taught. We were taught that this is more for better communication and effective visibility and things like that than position or title. All right, and I'll, I'll explain in just a second. But we were just taught that the pastor, you know, you don't come down to that level. They need something to look up to, you know, somebody to aspire to. They're not going to be able to receive from you that, that there's a pastor's mystique that you need to protect. And, and the only thing that separates me from you is responsibility. If you have more responsibility, you should always have more authority. So the Bible says in James 3, 1, he who teaches will be judged more strictly. Because I'm teaching you, I'm going to be, I'm at a higher level of accountability before God. <laughs> It's not so that I can rah, 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 tell you what to do and how to do it. You should, by permission, be submitted to godly authority, honor and respect authority, obey your leaders, Hebrews 13, 7. Don't make their work address. There's a ton of scripture I give you on authority, and I could teach you in the proper context, but it's typically abused. Does that make sense? But, but, but I'm normal. Well, sort of, but I'm normal. I realize I'm just like you. I, you know, and, and, and so there, there, you need to be able to see that there's a powerful... Uh, um, reality when people are just being real. So Stacey and I, we decided we're not going to be like that. We're just going to open up our home. Boy, did we ever open up our home? Our home is just like a revolving door. I saw that with my grandmother when I was growing up. It was one of the things that was most impactful to me was an open house and people coming in and out and all the time. We wanted them to see all our flaws and foibles and failures, but all the successes and all the blessing and all the connectivity and community and, and, and reality of what the Christian experience is all like. And some people, many in this room, have benefited from shared experience. And is there risk about it? You better, be, you darn skippy, there's risk. Has it hurt sometimes? Have we been hurt sometimes? Yes. But the blessing of living like that versus living closed and higher than and better than and, and insulated and isolated far outweighs being, being removed and distant from everybody else. Can I have an amen out there? Does that make sense to anybody? We must have life with refrigerator rights. Number two, we all have flawed feet. <laughs> there we go. Some more flawed than others, all right? My wife has beautiful feet. I love my wife's feet. Uh, I love them. They're just sweet and cute and smooth and just, I don't know, I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, there's a certain member of my family, I won't mention his name, but he's a pastor of another church in our family. And he has what we call socially unacceptable feet. Hopefully he won't hear this. Some of you know that. You have, you have more toes than you have feet. You know what I'm saying? Like some of you could type 100 words a minute with your toes. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I understand, okay? Uh, my wife doesn't talk about, you know, she, she, like, you know, if people come over, I'm usually like in my shorts. She doesn't say, put your shirt on. She never says that. But she might say, put some socks on. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, she doesn't say that. I'm just kidding. But we would say that to this certain person in our family. We all, though, truthfully have flawed feet. We have flaws. We have kind of relational, emotional, spiritual, sometimes disabilities. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another. Everybody say, accept one another. That means flaws and all. Just as Christ accepted you why, do you, why do you accept others? Because Christ accepted you. He demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he still died for us, Romans 5.8. So he goes on to say, 
This brings praise to God when we accept other people as Christ accepted us. That brings glory to God. And I could brag about people in our groups and people that have impacted my life through groups, but the truth is many of them had flaws. Over the years in small groups, and I've done them for years and years and years now, there have been more than one time when a certain individual confessed some kind of addictive behavior to me. Could be, you know, things that I know vivid, vivid things can come to mind, you know? All kinds of addictions. And there have been more than one time when there's been a marital challenge where I just, I'm done with him, I'm done with her. Even infidelities. More than once, someone has drifted away from the fold, and I remember going to a bar one time, dragging, more than once, dragging a guy right out of a bar. That's, th- those were the old days. You know what I mean? You didn't show up to church at, at Connect. I went to find you wherever you were having church. That's how it used to be. You better be in church tomorrow. Got it? Got it. Good? Good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get out of here. You know what I mean? That's how it was. Some truth to that. I'm not kidding. Um, but there have been times when, you know, when, when the children were acting up. There have been times when, you know, we didn't like each other in our group, right? Listen, when you get eight to ten women together over an extended period of time, this is a spiritual principle, hang on here, everybody. There will be conflict, okay? Come on, ladies, you know it's true. Something's going to break down, all right? And, and you're going to have, you know, she said that, and I think she was looking at me wrong, and the husband's going to bow up, and what'd you say about her, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we had those kind of things. But guess what didn't happen? No one left the group, and no one left the church either over that. We stayed, we, we worked it out. Family stayed together. And when we were wrong, we apologized. When we were wronged by others, we chose to forgive. And when things were weird, we talked about it. And we became like Christ through fellowship. That's what God wants for us. Connect, you know... We should be known, this is one of the passions of my life, be known as a church that doesn't judge people, that we accept people's flaws. We don't agree with them necessarily, but we accept people with all their flaws. It's pervasive in religion today, and and it's been there for centuries where we don't accept people and if they don't believe like we do. I think we should lean into relationship with people who don't think and believe the way we do. That's what Jesus did. And I, it's not because, and, and instead, when we, when we don't lean in and we step back, then we're saying we're better. And we don't say that. We don't say we're better. We lean in because we're better off and we want to show you, want to influence you, we want to tell you why. Why? We're not better then. We're better off because. Does that make sense? Throughout the Bible, there was this kind of problem and it would, it would, um, it would manifest in in certain interactions with people who had a physical flaw. In fact, if you were crippled or you were lame or you had some kind of disability, the common religious response, and this is what happens relationally, but it happened, and in, 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 in hopefully you can see the parallel. The common religious response, response was, who sinned? The reason you have that disability, the reason there's that lamity in your life, the reason that you have that flaw is because you sinned. In fact, they'd even say, if it wasn't you, then which one of your parents was responsible for that? You inheriting this, this disability, these flawed feet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? And anyway, there was this amazing story in the Bible about this same thing, and there was this guy named Mephibosheth. Everybody try to say that without swearing. Mephibosheth. It feels like you might be saying something wrong when you say that. Mephibosheth. 
You know, so Mephibosheth, he was, he was lame, and society had rejected him. But I won't go through the whole story, but the king had mercy on him and accepted him and showed him love because of another relationship that he was honoring. Look in your notes, 2 Samuel 9, verse 13, it says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, and he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now, don't miss the power of this. I hope you don't. But all the society had rejected him, but the king accepted him. I think we need to be like and behave like the king. He always ate at the king's table, even though he was lame in both feet. You know what? You know what? We all have crippled feet. But when you eat at the king's table, what don't you see whenever you eat at the king's table? You don't see the feet. You don't see the feet when you eat at the king's table because it's covered by the table of the king. I don't know if you see the power of that. I pray to Jesus that you do. I don't know if you can. But we all come with flawed feet, and we all come to the table of the Lord, the King of Kings, and we dine together in community and love each other even though we have flawed feet. That's what fellowship looks like. Praise the Lord. Number three, we fight lions. Everybody say lions. This is the great quality of a strong biblical and Christian fellowship. 1 Peter 5.8 says the devil goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, which means we must give him permission to devour us. And as Christians, a lot of times we know our identity in Christ, but we don't know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. We need to know how to fight the devil. One of the ways we fight the devil is not just with the weapons, but it's with our friends. It's because we're in community. It's because we're in relationship. And in all seriousness, we do have a spiritual enemy. And he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't miss the direct correlation between Satan and the lion and the cat family. Just being funny there. Cats, get it? Cats. Anyway, all right. In all seriousness, yeah. He, but anyway, but you, you are in a strong biblical community. You can fight cats, lions. The ones that are kind of like snarling at you, trying to, to, to seek, to devour. And let me tell you something. The enemy is like a lion. He goes around. He's trying to pick you off. That's why it's so important that you travel in a pack. I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but if you're just coming to church on Sundays and that's it, you are vulnerable to lions. You're vulnerable to lions. You are. This won't, this isn't enough for you. Here's a vivid illustration of what this looks like is my last video of the day, all right? Together, we got, a little, we got a little bit of water buffalo in all of us. Check this out. This is right off of YouTube. I want you to see this. It'll be quick. Watch this lion goes on the attack. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here they come. Not going to go for the big guy, though. Gonna pick up oh, some little guys. She's going for him. She got him. Oh, she did. She got him. He's going to just fuck the buffalo. Little guy gets picked off by lions, but wait a second. Wait a second. This little guy's not alone, though. Unbelievable. Wait, wait for it, wait for it. Wait. Oh my gosh! Hey! Listen up, buddies! Um, this is incredible! That one little guy's got a family, and they are angry! 
This is real, guys. This is real. This really happened. It's too late. All of a sudden, the water buffalo get a plan. We fight lions. If you guys, you cannot still believe alive. what's Don't going worry, on here. There's a big fairy of between lions, crocodiles, and buffaloes. Here we go! Whoa. Here we go! He swatted at him, he kicked at him. He's kicking at him, look. He's kicking at him. Yeah! Gee, they chased him away. But they look the one. Look it, look it. Come on! So listen, if water buffalo can do that for a loved one, what do you think the Church of Jesus Christ ought to be able to do? Come on. I think we ought, that's like an eight-minute video, but we had to cut that thing down. You don't go out there alone, amen? You know, I think that we ought to demonstrate some kind of community and connection where we can fight lions off. And that's what it should feel like. It should feel like when your friend is under attack, your friend is being pulled away. Your friend, it's literally like a lion's on their neck, suffocating the life out of them. But, but, th but these kind of relationships, they require an intentionality and a pursuit from each one of us. When this happens, I think when we're, when we're like that, Jesus' words come alive. In John 13, 35, it says, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It's the greatest way to get your light to shine out in the world. The Bible says in Galatians 6, you know, we're supposed to do good, especially to the family of believers. And, and, and some of you have this. And some of you don't. And some of you don't. And with all the relational equity, influence, authority that you allow, please get connected. Get connected. Will you stand your feet? Let me pray for you. Look, it, we don't have everything. If we don't have a group that fits your needs, your concerns, talk to us about it. We'll start one. I'm going to start one. It's not even in the group. We're, we're going to do, do a group. I'm going to start one. It's not even in the directory. It's not on the small, it's not in the, you know, website or whatever. So just, just tomorrow, we'll start something. If you're not in one, I know summer's crazy. I get it. But you should, you should carve out time to discuss as a family, as a couple. As in, you carve out time by yourself and just say, what do I need to do to make time for that? Is there an Aki phase to just like getting into a group and you don't know people? Yeah. Why do you do it? For progress, for growth, for protection, all the above. That's why you do it. It will change your life. I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying to you. The healthiest, safest, most solid people I know in my life are in a small group. Hands down, bar none. And I'm just telling you with 20 years experience, I'm telling you with the Bible, I'm telling you with water buffalo. <laughs> well, I'll use whatever means necessary. You know, get in relationship. Would you just close your eyes and let me pray for you? 
your relationships are dependent on two things, relationship with God and with people. It, it, is, it is important to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is as important it's, or it's incomplete if you're not having shared experience with God and God's people. If you're here today and you've never made that initial connection between you and God where you know you don't, it's not religion it's not something that you, you it's not because you go to church it's not because you just read your Bible but you've never just like surrendered your life transferred your trust from you to, to God where you realize if, if you know if this life ended today tomorrow you, you know you, there, was a, there was a change where you move from this reality to another you want to know for certain you're in right standing with God and you don't have that certainty you can right now have that certainty because of what Jesus did for you you're here on purpose, God had a plan and a purpose for you to be here this morning, to hear this message and to hear this word. And he may be, and I believe for some he could be, knocking on the door of your heart. But that door has a handle on the inside and it's waiting for you to open up and say, God, come into my life. And if you know he wants to do that, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down front, but I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life today. Raise your hand good and high right now and just say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? not ashamed. If you're not ashamed of him, he won't be ashamed of you. Amen. 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 Thank you for those two bold, bold people. Now, if you're here today and you know, you know, we're not playing church here. I'm not going to make this cozy for you. I'm not going to make this easy for you, but right there in your seat, same thing. You know, there's, there's a, you're relationally poor. It's not where God wants it to be. I'm not going to, nobody's going to come knocking on your door and sell you stuff today. We're just, we're just making you, making you come to a place of decision making you be honest and real with God about this situation. You know there's a relational poverty in your life. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need prayer for that. I need courage to make changes in my life in that. There's relational poverty. Amen. 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 Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your courage. Good and high. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I'm going to pray for you. Those that are raising your hand. Now I want the church, I want you to just agree with me in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person that's here in this room that feels poor, not, not materially necessarily, uh, spiritually, but relationally poor. I pray in Jesus' name for divine flow connections, Lord. Just people to come into their life. They see, they, they, all of a sudden the scales come off their eyes. They're like, you know what? I didn't look at, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I didn't see her, him. I didn't see that opportunity. God, I pray that you show them. There are people right around them that God has divinely orchestrated to put into their life, and they've been missing it. They've been turning the volume down. They've been closing the doors on that. They've been and pulling down the blinds they've been living in isolation and insulation but now they have they see clearly the song comes in my mind I can see clearly now and I pray in Jesus name that you open their eyes but more importantly that they take whatever steps they need to do to invite give permission to those people into their life that they take those necessary steps that they get they, they sign up for a small group they, they pursue people they get intentional about their relationships in Jesus name and for those two people that, that want to call upon the name of the Lord church pray this with me and those that raise your hand say Jesus I invite you into my life to be my savior and my Lord to lead me into a personal relationship with you I trust you from now and forever in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. Praise the Lord.